Welcome to the Who Shuffled Tabletop Podcast. Episode 8, Family Games. Hello, I'm Tom Tanner, and welcome to another episode of Who Shuffled. Ryan wasn't able to record this week, but here with me today is none other than the master of disaster, MBH himself, is in the house. This is Hugh Stevens. Tell us a little about yourself, Hugh. Yes, I'm Hugh, as he said. I am um, a board gamer, video gamer, just glad to be here today, happy that I got the opportunity to speak, talk a little bit with Tom about board games, and I hobby both of us like a lot i really appreciate you coming on i definitely want you to tell everybody a little bit more about yourself i know we mentioned you a lot in the podcast and we've actually had a few people ask who mbh was you know and that's mutual buddy hugh why don't you tell everyone how long you've been in the hobby and and what kind of games do you like yeah i'm a man of mystery i don't know it's interesting because it's one of those things of board games of much like you guys spoke on y'all's first episode um I've always played board games. I think most of us had a childhood growing up playing some sort of board games. I realized, listening along with you guys, I played mostly dexterity games because, like you guys, I uh, didn't always have someone to play with, but I could always play a dexterity game by myself. But really, for the last uh, probably two years, I've started collecting uh, more hobby-focused board games, you know, a little more in-depth. To tell a little bit more about myself, I'm probably known amongst the group as a little more casual gamer because I like just fun, casual games. It's not that I have anything against hardcore, but I just find a niche sometimes into that mid to casual game role. Yeah, and I'm not convinced that that's what your taste is. You just you just hadn't turned over to the dark side yet. We'll we'll get you into one of those Mage Knight games or into a, um, a super heavy Euro, you know, pretty soon. Yeah, you've been trying to get me in Mage Knight for a little while now. Yeah, I think I think it's just a progression, and some people are just at different different rates. Yeah, uh, I think there's a natural progression. Of course, uh, the more comfortable you are with mechanics, the further you build a little, build a little. Much as the games do, we as players do. I do sometimes. There's a certain thrill to a one-page rule book in a game you can put out on the table and have everyone playing in ten minutes. Yeah, which is, you know, perfect for our um, segment here. Our main topic is about family games. That's what the episode's going to be about. So uh, I think that, I mean, we didn't really plan that out at all. Being around, we're going to talk about that anyway. So um, you're, you're definitely, you probably have more experience with, with lighter family games than I do. So your expertise will come to the light. <laughs> no, I do not consider myself an expert, but I, I play all sorts of games, of course. Uh, along with you guys, I get with you and Ryan and play in person pretty often. Of course, I mean, I don't want to sell myself as just some party game player. I love party games, but um, probably some of my favorite games, you know, me and my wife, uh, I think you mentioned on the podcast, probably, I think, introduced you to Dominion. We played a lot of Dominion. Um it's a great game. Recently, we've been playing Star Realms as a one-on-one game, and we like that a lot as well. But I love, love, love RPG-in-a-box games. Uh, the miniatures, components, uh, Mice and Mystics up there amongst some of my favorites. Uh, the Zombie Side game, of course. I don't find many games that I just don't like. Uh, you know, you guys have covered a lot of this on this podcast, which I've really enjoyed listening to, the um, the weight, complexity of games. Um, it's all parts of it. But oftentimes, I think, misunderstanding is that weight doesn't always come from more pieces. That table presence doesn't mean weight. Okay, well, I think we got a pretty good show today. I'm pretty excited about it. And I want to remind everybody that we're going to have um, Rob Davio on the show next week, next episode. So it's first episode in April. He's going to be on here. We're going to be interviewing him, talking about his new game, Fireball Island. He's going to be promoting it. We're real excited about that. So um, make sure you listen to that one. And unless you got something else you want to add, we're going to get on straight to the news. Sounds good. 
Okay, and now it's time for some news. So let's get right down to it. Um, I've got some Kickstarters here that I'm excited about. I broke down and backed Chronicles of Crime that we talked about a while back. Have you looked into this game at all, Hugh? Before today, no. I had not heard anything about it in the news. I must be way behind on board game news. Yeah, I mean, it it looks really cool to me, the virtual reality, to look around in a room and find clues in this you know, murder that you're solving. I just think that is just so cool. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at images of it. It looks really neat. I mean, a neat concept, you know, uh, putting that augmented reality into a board game, which I'm a big fan of, actually. I'm a big fan of mixed reality, like mixing in technology and paper, cardboard uh, board games. It looks really neat. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be fun, and I, I, I'm glad I got it. Oh, actually, I didn't realize that. They have a late pledge. It looks like you can late pledge. And still get it if you're, you know, if anybody's interested. I don't know how long that's going to be going, but I thought it's just extremely reasonable too. I mean, thirty nine bucks for the base. I think the deluxe basically only comes with the glasses, and it looks like one extra investigation they call it. So, um, for ten more dollars, so for forty nine, that's still not bad though. If you don't have any VR glasses, you know, it's ten bucks. You can be in business. That's cool. I, I like deduction games. I, it might be something I look into, but um, really had not been on my radar. Not seen it at all. Also, the tabletop network that we mentioned in the past. The Yeah, the, you talked about it uh, a little while back. The uh, It's the event where you can go and uh, they have a lot of panels, a lot of uh, guest speakers, right, including Rob Davio, um, speaking about uh, board game design. Really would be a neat thing to visit if you were uh, looking into any type of board game design or had any interest in it. Me and Lauren, you know, we have messed around with, with, you know, making some board games and we've failed miserably. Never created anything that was worth even mentioning to any of you guys, you know, but we we, we messed around with it and it's, it's something I definitely would like to explore in the future. So I thought it'd be interesting. And if nothing else, just to hear these guys talk. Next one was Brutality. Um, I've, I haven't, haven't backed it in any way, but I am pretty close i think it's i think it's got a couple days left uh 10 days left on the kickstarter and it just looks like a really fun um i guess these are called like what would you call these kind of games i'm trying to think like an arena game no 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 it's a no it's like an arena game it's pvp they're calling it brawler so it's a what is this for eight by eight grid and it's two v two no matter how many players you play i don't know if you can play three players probably probably just like anyway so if you're playing one-on-one you've each got two heroes and if you're playing but you can also play it you know two versus two but i'm assuming a three-player game would just be (laughs) one's controlling both you know but um but yeah so it looks really cool it's just in this arena what what i like about it and what really turned me on about it is i've been actually playing a lot of abstract strategy games lately um a lot i mean i played the duke and i've been playing a lot of like chess type variant games like six making and and only tom me and jada played that today twice so a lot of those games if you don't know about them they're they're a lot of abstract strategy on a grid almost i guess all three of those and each piece either moves in a different way sort of like chess or it changes and i guess all of them I'm trying to think yeah all three of those well not the yeah yeah the duke does too sorry all three of them the way the pieces move changes dynamically while you're playing it and that's somewhat similar to this like these these each of these heroes or whatever they it's it, imagine like an abstract strategy game where you're moving around a board but you got health and you're able to you know move in in these different patterns like some of them can move diagonal and some can do whatever and that stuff changes and you're using mana and whatever and you're attacking the other players i just think that's such a cool concept and i've never and there's there's probably games out there like this in the past but i'm not familiar with them and i can't think of any so um, when i saw this i was just i think the fact that i've been playing all those abstract games made me i was like oh my gosh this is abstract mixed with just raw you know fantasy theme you know chaos i love it so i think it looks really interesting at first glance it was looked as though it was an rpg in a box because i saw the character cards the miniature figures and almost looks like a mashup as we were saying which is some of the best games taking mechanics for different parts and uh putting it into a 
uh, abstract strategy theme, you know, but uh, maybe not theme, but theming it medieval, but looks really neat. It looks like something that uh, could be neat to to play with endless possibilities of, you know, one-on-one, or even, as you said, two-on-two. Yeah, I, I have no idea how the gameplay is really going to be, but I think that the 2v2, I would be more excited about that, like each person controlling their own character, but a team, you know, like two versus two, that seems really, really fun. I'll, I'll give them this, looking at the images, the miniatures are extremely detailed, and that, that raises costs as well. Um, they have a lot of detail to them. The, little, the witch hunter type guy, the gravekeepers they call them, is just tattered cloak and uh, just every little intricate detail of armor is on multiple scrolls on his belt that's that's uh qu- looks like quality pieces yeah qu- quit pretending like you're interested you just want to you just want to paint these minis <laughs> well that's where i've kind of gotten into is painting these minis but actually these type are the ones that scare me more those the details on these guys are um looks like it'd be hard it'd be harder it'd be harder to paint Anyway, let's let's move on. So I know you had some news items that you was wanting to bring up. What you got for us? Uh well, just a couple of things off my mind. I had been very interested. Uh, I know you guys talked about the Batman miniature game, and uh, miniature games pop up here and there. And I think you guys had mentioned the Harry Potter miniature game um, that was announced, and uh, I was super excited for this game. I guess if there's anything news related is unfortunately there's a little bit of a debacle into some of the management it seems uh just news off of board game geek stuff that I try to follow and look at it's getting some negative reviews and people kind of turning uh I think it's a company called Knight's Model that's doing the the miniatures uh Knight Models yeah Knight Models yes and um uh, one of the first things I heard about was, you know, the game may not be as casual, but of course, you know, with Harry Potter, you go to looking at possibly bringing in some people that's a little more casual. The miniatures are made of resin. They're not plastic. Generally, this means you have to do a lot of work. They have to be glued together. They come in pieces. And they're also not as durable because of that. I can just only imagine a Harry Potter fan like, oh man, look at these Harry Potter miniatures and I want to get in board games. And they buy it and get little pieces of Harry Potter to put together with metal, metal model glue, you know. I have not heard any of this about it. Yeah, um, the biggest I had really seen was that there were uh, the Kickstarter. It was not a Kickstarter. It was more of a just, uh, I think they put it up for one day, and they're saying it was more of a publicity stunt or a false Kickstarter, if you've heard that online, marketing type play. I don't know. I don't want to cast aspersions about the company. I don't know anything about it. But it's, you know, scaring me a little bit because it was a game I was very interested in. I think it's not slated for release until next year, Um, to be honest with you. I think it's uh, at least the end of this year. But I guess more will come out about it. But just the recent thing I knew about it is that um, things aren't looking good. Maybe they'll maybe they'll get their junk together and <laughs> we'll have a. I don't really care what happens as long as we get a good game out of the out of it in the end. So maybe it will. <laughs> Absolutely, that's my hope as well. Always hope for the good. All right, you got anything else for us? Yeah, just wanted to mention again, and I think you guys might have mentioned the game. Something I'm kind of looking forward to is, though it's not a traditional board game, the artifact game, the artifact Dota Two card game is kind of what most people refer in kind of a long sentiment but there's artifact is such a broad term um but you know it was announced this year and supposed to be out or announced last year i believe but it's supposed to be out the end of this year on pc and really android ios everywhere but um i'm really looking forward to that dota you know it has such a great lore and story behind all the characters and and that's what makes this game so unique is they're they're kind of trying to capture that having the three lanes uh, i really think that that's just going to really add a lot to it maybe bearing the lead a little bit here what i didn't mention is you know the designer valve has kind of deep pockets and i don't really know the arrangement that they saw, sought out and have uh the magic um creator uh richard Garfield is designing, you know, the yeah. inner working, the gameplay of it, and someone tried and true like that, um, coming forward and building a digital card game is really is what I think is kind of interesting. 
because I think it's the wave of the future is the digital card games. You can do so many things. Might not be popular saying that because card games, collectible CCGs are still very popular, but at least to me, there's so many things that can be done in a digital card game like Hearthstone that just can't really be done on the table. Absolutely. Um, I think one of the biggest examples of that in Hearthstone, they have a, a, a mechanism or mechanic, whatever that's called discovery. I don't know if you're that familiar with it, but when, when that happens, anytime you, you do play discovery, you get to discover cards that fit a certain thing. So like it can say, hey, you know, when you play this card, discover another card, another five cost card five mana card and it pulls that from every card in the entire library of hearthstone so that'd be like playing a game of magic and when you play this card it's like get a random you know card from every magic card ever made you know and like there's so much of that like in a real ccg you, you know you're limited to your deck which is not a big limit of course you said you know you're building this deck ahead of time that's you know the big part of the game but the fact that you can you know transform you know the cards into other cards while you're playing and do these things that can only be done in a digital setting you know i think that's very unique like you said we both mentioned the mixing technology and board game being able to do things and manage things that would be fiddly or overwhelming in person I welcome it all. I welcome all the blurred lines between, you know, like, like we were just talking about like Chronicles of Crime. You know, I love the blurred lines of, is it a board game? Is it a video game? Is it a mix? Some people are hardcore and they say, I want my cardboard board game to be able to play in a in a cabin in the woods with no electricity. And um, and, and I, I respect that. I know where they're coming from you know, in this age with I've got, you know, three kids and most of them are on their phones all the time. So I understand the need to want to get away from all of that and just have more human experience. But I think that's what the difference for me is, is none of those apps that I've ever played with these board games have ever limited the the human interaction. I think that's the, that's the line I don't want to cross when I'm considering, you know, what a board game should be. We're going to move into the next section, which is what we've been playing. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Okay, now let's talk about some games we've been playing. What you've been up to lately, Hugh? Actually, I've played uh, quite a few games over this past two weekends. I got together and played a few uh, games for sure. The one I really wanted to speak about today I brought up earlier, and it's definitely not a new game, but it's Mice and Mystics. It's a game that was released in 2012 by designer Jerry Hawthorne. Um... It's a really, really neat game. Uh, it's definitely a, it's a little RPG game, as I kind of referred to before, RPG in a box. What I'm meaning by that is it's uh, basically a storytelling game where you take on the role and you play these uh, little mice creatures, which are nice little miniatures that you get to play, and everyone takes on the role with a little character card that has different aspects. All the characteristics are as though you're playing as a single character that levels up, gets better at things, gets new weapons, new gear, and all this is played out on a tile board game that's very simple, very easy to get into, and I think that's what makes me like it so well. Uh, this, Of course, other games have been released after it uh, that have the similar mechanics, but the heart of the game is very easy to understand. Uh, you basically have a storybook, that you read a bit about, and it sets the stage of where you're at. Um, probably, as I was saying, the easiest thing to think about is D&D, but instead of having a dungeon master, the board game does it for you. So, you know, I uh, don't want to spoil the adventures, but it's broken down into chapters or so in this one, and it tells you which tiles to lay out, and you, up to four adventures, little mice, set out and move room to room. Basically, find adventures. Uh, there's different spawns, enemies that come against you. But the mechanic of the game that's so neat, once someone knows how to play the game, it can be explained really easy. Because the game comes with five dice. And the five dice have everything, information you need for everything you do in the game. It's something I really hadn't seen before. It has numbers up in the corner, and that works for things when you need numbers, like movement. You'll roll the dice and read the number in the corner. But when you go to attack, Say your character, Colin, 
the little warrior has two attack, you roll two dice. Well, there's pitchers on the dice, and you're attacking melee, so two swords come up, that means you hit twice. If anything else comes up, you did not hit. Um, and that could be a shield or a ranged bow or anything like that. Or cheese. Or cheese. Or cheese. You got it. And cheese is the mana of the game. Cheese is how you do specials. It isn't isn't cheese the mana in real life, though? <laughs> cheese is a mana, for sure. Um, but yes, it's, it's great. That's how you do powers. The characters are really cute. The characters are already designed, and the story is laid out before you. So you really just follow through. And as you get to new tiles, uh, there's new little blurbs to read in the book that explain what you're doing in that room. And if you have a group that really enjoys something like that, they uh, can really get a lot of pleasure out of, you know, seeing, well, we just went into the kitchen, and what's happening in the kitchen? That little reading kind of sets the stage for what your objective is, and without being overly complicated. And again, like I was saying, everything's handled in a series of five dice. Everything. Um, There's also, what I didn't mention, there's a starburst on some of the dice. So if you need to pass any test or go through an obstacle, you just roll and hope you find the starburst. Super interesting way to design what would seem to be a complex game, but it's all handled through simple dice roll. Have you ever played the game, Tom? I have not. Is it a scenario game or more like a campaign? And I guess what I'm asking is like, is it like each one-off little stories or is it one big overarching story? Because I've heard the storytelling is really good. Yes, it's it's a, it's a campaign um, overall, um, okay. but each one has a... In this game, it's actually laid out in chapters, and they actually like call it a storybook and actually read it out if you play a chapter at a time. But each one kind of has a set objective, and you feel like you completed something and are perfectly fine to stop. But of course, it brings you along and makes you want to continue down the campaign, the overarching campaign of what's going to happen next. Cool. And that's interesting. I've played very few actual troop campaign games like that i mean me and you still working on pandemic legacy and you could you could definitely say it's a a campaign game in that in that sense i mean it's one story in order but like brimstone you can literally instructions are roll the dice and pick a random scenario you know so there's no there's no story there it's just one-offs you know every little every scenario is just a one-off mission you know they might be related in some way but they don't connect I recommend it for any board game group if you have a, some people, even just, you know, a two two people. You know, this game isn't too hard to find, even used. It, as I said, it came out in 2012. And definitely, I couldn't recommend it enough just because of the fun and storytelling. Um, but the gameplay is fun and simple, overall simple, because of the way they designed the, the dice to work for everything. All right, now you got to tell me the truth on this one. You got you got to be honest with me. Is the gameplay better than the fact that you get to paint little cute mice? I, I knew that was going to come up sometime uh, during the <laughs> recording of this podcast. Um, I have started trying to paint my miniatures in my board games. And you're doing a great job, especially those zombies and zombie side. I was really impressed with everything you did with those, so. There's six mice in this game that you can play as, and then a, a whole bag full of uh, miniatures, enemies, I guess you'd say. And I have painted basically two of the miniatures uh, almost to completion, and two more midway, maybe 80%, and two are only primed. So it takes time, but uh, it's something I just started enjoying. And you're, you're right, uh, I'm a sucker for... Uh, components for miniatures especially if you didn't get that earlier during the news section a nice miniature can almost sell me a game and i can't paint all the miniatures i I got board games setting up that in line i guess to try to paint but i really do get into a little zen state you know after work come home and paint for a little bit on a character once you really get into it i mean it's really fun and i really enjoy it and and i'm i'm jealous of those people that have done it for so long and are so good at it i mean i, I just i think it adds so much to it a whole nother level of enjoyment with your games you know like being able to spend all that time doing that and being proud of that product then when you're actually playing it you know it's a conversation piece and it's um you know just makes it more real and more enjoyable you know so it's really the, i think the hardest thing is to getting started once you get into it I definitely recommend trying to find someone that's done it before, either watching some videos. I've watched a lot of videos uh, on trying to learn some techniques, but ultimately it's just a uh, 
exercise and patience probably is the biggest thing in painting miniatures. But great news of working with acrylic paints and water-based paints is if you mess up, it can pretty easily be fixed. So, Well, I'm going to go ahead and talk about a game I played. I got to play a game called Vast, or it's Vast, the Crystal Caverns. This is from 2016. This is from Letter games l-e-d-e-r and i was very impressed with it i had heard about this game i don't know i don't really know how i wasn't more up to speed on this game because this is kind of what we've talked about in the past is there's so many games that come out every year i was just honestly shocked that i kind of missed this one because it's so cool and so so much fun it's right up my alley I remember like hearing about it and maybe saw the cover, but that was it. it just kind of left my mind as soon as I, you know, saw it. But um, Josh, our our friend, he he wound up purchasing this game and he sent me a picture of it and I was like, well, that's cool. And then we found out it was on Tabletop Simulator, so me and him and Ryan wound up um, playing a game. But this is a fairly heavy game according to Board Game Geek, three point four two. You know, it's that's on definitely on the heavier side. Anything three or above is usually not would it never be considered a family game or a light you know gateway game or anything like that but what's so cool about this is something i've never thought of is the game is not hard like while you're playing the game i would say that it's light to medium if that but why does it have that complexity right what makes it so unique it's it's asymmetric so this game is everybody's got these different characters you're in this cave right this is their cavern crystal caverns it's like a dungeon crawl sorta but it's more like a tile exploration game so you start with the single tile or maybe it's more with a couple tiles in the middle i think it's a single tile throughout the game it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger but what makes it so crazy every single character it's completely completely different so i was playing the knight right i'm, I'm the knight josh was the goblins and then Ryan was the dragon. Well, what's so cool about that is, I mean, my player board, there was nothing, not even, not, not one thing in common between my player board or the others. And that's what makes this game, that's what I was getting at with the complexity. Each person playing, it's a fairly light game. But the fact that every time you switch characters, you basically have to learn a new game. We were all each three playing a separate game, like a totally different game, pretty much. It was so interesting because you talk about replayability. This might not be a game that I'd want to play like a lifestyle game, like play, you know, forever, but I definitely could play it at least one time by each person. I mean, each character, cause it's a totally different game. So I'm, I'm the knight and it's a 100% action selection game. You know, maybe you could say a little worker placement feel to it, but I've got a little board. I've got these cubes and I'm, I've got a deck of side quests. I'm the noble knight, right? I'm just trying to slay the dragon. So if the dragon's in the game, my job is just to kill the dragon. That's it. I'm done. I win. If the dragon's not in the game, my job is to find like three treasures, I think, collect three treasures and then get out, you know, escape the cave. So that that's what I had going on. But I have these these different stats. The knight had these different stats that were movement, perception, and oh, strength. So I'm having to allocate my my cubes to that. I got these little side quests. They're secret in my hand. No one knows what they are. As I complete them, and they're easy, it's just like attack the dragon or um, gain two treasures or, you know, stuff that just happens. You know, it's kind of like stuff you could really do easily. You could pretty much complete a side quest every turn, um, maybe even two. And as I get those, I get grit, and grit helps me level up. And all leveling does is the higher, the more grit I get, I unlock more cubes. So at the beginning, I only start with two cubes, I think. So I got these actions I can do. I can shoot a bow. I can attack. I can drop a bomb on the dragon because the dragon starts the level below you. So you have to drop bombs down below. Anyway, so I'm, I'm going through and I'm just unlocking more cubes. So I get, uh, as, as I progress, as I do these quests, I'm able to do a lot more actions each turn. And that's pretty much it. That's pretty much all the, the dragon, I mean, the knight does. You're going around with these tiles and each tile, when you flip them over, like they're dark when they start and then you have to explore them and they get turned over and they'll have like, there's like maybe three or four things that can be on it. There's an encounter, which you draw a random encounter card, which are pretty simple. Well, so I had that going on. Then Josh is playing the goblins. I don't know that much about it because, again, I didn't play it. So, But from what I could tell, he has three tribes. So he has like three different you know, types of goblins. And it's like the bones, the eyes, and the 
teeth or something. I don't know what they're called, but um, so he's he's controlling three different tribes of goblins, and each turn he's trying to build them up in number. And now they can't die, and that's what's so cool is he moves the tribes around, and as he's moving them around, they can move around in the dark. Those tiles start out face down, and you have to explore them, but they can move around in the dark like unlimited number of spaces. Each tribe has its own like strength or number. And so they'll be like, you know, one of the tribes will be a three or a two. And and he can use these actions to basically every tribe can do one action. So he's got three tribes. So he's can, he can choose out of this list of actions for each tribe. So he does three things. That makes sense. So the first tribe, like the bones tribe, he'll choose, I'm going to do something, whatever it does. And it, it bumps up the tribe number. So now there's more goblins in that tribe. And then when basically when they get attacked or if something bad happens to them, they wind up scattering. So they're, they're very, you know, skittish and scared and like, you know, they're all about ambushing. And their whole thing is he's just trying to kill me. He's trying to kill the knight. But basically his whole game is these cards and each tribe has like these up, like upgrade cards. And so he's playing this whole other game with this hand management where he's playing down this tribe, the Bones tribe now, all of a sudden has lightning bugs that help him see things. and Or I don't even know. Like I said, I wasn't even paying attention to him because I'm playing a whole different game. Basically, the number of the tribe he has has to overpower the knight's strength. And his whole thing is he's trying to kill the knight. If he kills the knight, he wins. You know, So that's what he's trying to do. And then you go to the dragon. Totally different. Again, so the dragon starts out asleep. You know, he's, we're in his cave. He's asleep. I can't think of a, better, uh, a good way to explain what he does. But anybody who's played Dota <laughs> will know it's um, he basically was playing Invoker from Dota. If anybody knows Dota, then you'll know what that means. If you don't, it, you know, just forget it. But the sunshot. It, well, he can't do that. But what I'm saying is he has a deck of cards and I think there's only three cards in the deck, but there's like 16 cards. But they're a combination of these cards like wing, flame and claw. That's what it was. So it's wing, flame and claw. And then he has this chart. His whole board is just a big chart, or half of the board is a chart. And as he plays those cards, like one bite does a bite, right? But two bites does something else. And a flame is called flame, but then two flames is scorch. And and then you play a flame, a bite, and a um, wing, or whatever. This happens. And But he has like 20 combinations, you know, of like ones, twos, and threes of these cards he can do. And, you know, some can be any cards or whatever. So he's playing this little mini game where he's trying to manage his hand and do these things. But what is he trying to do? He's trying to, he doesn't interact with a knight. He's trying to keep away from me because I'm just trying to kill him, right? The knight's trying to kill the dragon. So he wants to stay away from me. He can't hurt me at all. Um, but what he's trying to do is um, um, he's trying to go around and uncover tiles and basically eat goblins. That's a big part of it. If he eats goblins, if he, um, discovers tiles if he uh, he puts out these treasures because you know he's he's got the treasure anyway he does a bunch of this stuff but the whole point of it is he's asleep at the beginning and he's like laying down his token on the board as this little like sleeping dragon and he's trying to get the sloth points away so he starts out with all these the sloth and as he does all those things i was talking about um eating goblins and um you know undercovering those tiles and doing things with the treasure He's basically getting rid of all of his sloth, and he's waking up. And and as he wakes up, like every level that he goes down, he's getting more armor and more spirit. And spirit is just the number of cards he can have to do those things I was telling you about. Um, so every turn he draws up more. And so it makes him harder and harder to kill, you know, for me, each or for the night, each turn. And But his whole thing is he just has to keep doing all those little mini actions until he wakes up. And then once he wakes up, all he has to do is get out of the cave. So he just has to get to the entrance and leave. So it's this crazy, I mean, it's so asymmetrical. Like I said, everybody's doing something totally different, playing a totally different game. All you're sharing is tokens on this board, you know. And there's so many characters. Um, the cave is actually a character. You can play as the cave. Now, we weren't, of course, but his job is to... Basically, he gets to put out these tiles kind of in order. He has a hand of these tiles, and he's trying to manipulate the structure of the cave. And he's wanting the cave to collapse on everybody. He's trying to kill everybody. That's how the cave wins, you know. And so, I mean, it's it's crazy. And there's there's ghouls and a thief. And but I had so much fun with this game. It it's definitely on that you know heavier end because you have to know what everybody else is doing to be able to play it. 
but each character is so simple, you know, like they're really easy to play. It's just, you have to have a knowledge of the, like if you were playing with five people and they had never played this game before, you'd have to sit there and explain five different games to each person. Basically. That's what I was saying is it's so weird how it's a, you know, easy game to play your own one character, but it's very complex because everybody's doing something different. You kind of have to know what they're doing to play it well, you know? I think it's something you'd almost have to see, too. I mean, it, it sounds complex. What you're explaining, I know, is not difficult mechanics, but because there's so many parts, uh, that sounds complex. Uh, if I was to sit down and tell you how to play the knight, it would take me two minutes and you'd get it. And you'd be like, okay, I got it. You're just like, put a cube here and do that. I mean, that's literally all the knight does. He just has action selection. You got, you know, you got to, if I want to move a space, I have to put a cube in the movement. And I can, like, every time you put it there, like, the first cube is one movement, the second cube's three, five, seven, like that. So it's like, I can put it on there, now i got three movements, I can move three squares. I mean, that's that's about the complexity of the night. <laughs> you know, you're just going around doing stuff, yeah. you know. And like I said, each one's very simple, but the fact that they're all so different and you have to kind of know to be able to strategically play the game, you know, that's what makes it complex. Have you played many other like asymmetrical games? Like, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. It's pretty hard to do if you know just to think of another game like that, and I can't think of anything directly. I'm sure there's one that I'm not thinking of. I've played a lot of variable powered games, and nothing to this degree. I mean, like Rebellion, Star Wars Rebellion. You know, each yeah, you know that's pretty asymmetrical, but. Um, still, you kind of got the same card system in it. You're both like putting down leaders, and it's varied, but it's not, it's not you know, a different game. I mean, I, I'm telling you, that's it feels like each person's. I think variable powers is everywhere, you know, but it just that game, like you said, it's the three different games or five different games being played at one time. I, I couldn't imagine playing this with five people. I mean, I think I think three is really good um, because. With three people, kind of got like the back bang, the bang the dice game kind of, you know, I don't know if you ever played it, but in bang, like each person's trying to, like when you play with it with three people, everybody knows. So player A is trying to kill player B, B, C, and C, A. It's just a circle. So, so it's kind of felt like that, but, but Ryan wasn't even trying to kill anybody. Ryan was just trying to get out of the cave, you know, so the dragon wasn't trying to hurt anybody. He's just trying to go around and wake up enough, you know, that he could fly out, I guess, or whatever his scenario is. But like, I'm trying to kill him and I'm not worried about those goblins. They're just nipping at my heels the whole time. But, but um, that's all Josh is doing is sitting there trying to kill me, you know? Um, So it was really interesting that way. And every game's not going to play that way. Like, like the, the thief, he's totally different. He's not, nobody's trying to kill him particularly. And all he's trying to do is he's trying to steal all the treasure he can from everyone. So like, and his game's totally different, but it's not even like, you know what I'm saying? He's not in the circle or anything. He's just trying to do something completely. In the cave, he's trying to kill everybody. You know, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's really fun. And like I said, the new might wear off after you've played all the, the, the characters a time or two. Um, cause there's not that much complexity or much depth there. Um, it's pretty simple in its actual gameplay, like I said. So I could see it kind of not being as good a few plays in. But I'm really excited about it, and I would love to play it again you know, soon. One one final question, Tom. I know you said you played it on Tabletop Simulator, but uh, are the pieces cardboard cutouts? Because I'm looking at it on Amazon. It looks like, at least on the second edition, it's cardboard cutout pieces. You talking about like the characters? They're wooden bits is what they are. I don't know about what you're looking at. I see there's an expansion. There's a miniature expansion that you can purchase for almost another 30 bucks. Um, th- These are all like, like, like meeple quality, like little wooden colored bits that are, the dragon looks pretty cool. The knights, decent. The goblins are the, they're not, they don't actually look like goblins. They, they have like three wooden bits that are the shape of those tribes. So one looks like two bones, like a, like. Skull and crossbones without the skull, you know, just the bones crossed. Then one looks like a big eye and one's a big mouth full of teeth, you know. But yeah, that was vast. I really enjoyed it. I uh, hope it wasn't too confusing. I know I went a little long-winded, but there's a lot going on there, like I said, but it's it's really fun. And it looks like the base game, I just got it here. So the base game is the knight, the goblins, the dragon, the cave, and the thief. But then there were the ghouls. There were the something else, maybe even a ghost. I can't remember. But there's a few others in the expansions that you can get. Oh, wait, here it is. Yeah, Ghost, Ghoul, and then a Nightmare Unicorn. 
um that's that was really weird but we looked at them in, in tabletop and they were very similar to the to the dragon i think you i think it replaces the dragon if you play that you can't have both you know but that was vast sounds interesting <laughs> Okay, and now we're going to get to our main topic, and we are talking about family games. And this is a pretty pretty good topic. I mean, I've got a lot of experience with this. I've got three kids, and we try to play a lot of these games. And I'm finally getting into that that time in my life with my kids' ages that I can play what I'm calling, what I'm defining family games instead of playing kids' games. <laughs> you know, So we definitely want to make a distinction between the kids' games and the family game. So a, a family game can be played not just not just with kids or adults would play it on their own or how would you define a, a family game what does that mean to you hubert simple as it is it's kind of a complicated answer but it's really a multi-part answer it's a game that really could be played with anyone as that is what family is but i think you have to follow within a lot of parameters to really make it more specific to what we're really talking about some of those that i'm come off the top of my head is accessibility yeah for sure would be the one of the core components of what makes a game a family game what's your thoughts yeah just like you said anybody can play it right so you can play it with your eight-year-old or you can play it with your mother-in-law and anybody in between and i think we need to be clear that we're not talking about just gateway games um i think the you know most gateway games out there a large i think there'd be a lot of crossover i guess between a, a a list of gateway games and a list of family games but they're not the same thing, and by my definition, um, you know, because there's a lot of gateway games out there that, you know, we talked about this when we were getting ready for the show, but, like, content and the theme could could definitely rule out a game as a family game, right? Like Cards Against Humanity, I'm not going to call that a family game by my definition. And, of course, this is all subjective because we're all humans and these are opinions. But, um, you know, other games that, you know, that might be, light and might you might could call it a gateway game but they might have a strong theme of you know well i think we mentioned this is blood rage isn't a, a gateway game by any means but um but like something like that kind of theme with a lot of you know blood and fighting and killing i mean i wouldn't personally consider that a family game it needs to be a, a theme that is universally you know appealing you know to all ages and walks of life i think or as much as possible you know Absolutely, yeah. Theme would be another major parameter. I think you bring up a good point. And comparing them between gateway games is probably the closest uh, that the lines would get blurred to, um, because a gateway game can be a family game, but a family game is not necessarily a gateway game. Um, yeah. So, I because I think another major thing that we discussed is player count has to be up a little bit into a player game, a uh, family game, to make it meet this parameter because you're not going to well a solo game is not a family game right and like you mentioned it's like you're kind of you kind of the first thing i asked you before we started recording you were saying games that you can play with your brother-in-law and your your in-laws and and your cousins and whoever like that kind of atmosphere maybe some non-gamers in there so i think you know that that's important but also every time we talk about it you know no matter who we ask about a family game they're always talking about kind of like a get-together setting you know so probably not a two-player only game i mean me and my wife love a lot of two-player games and there's a lot of well you don't have kids so your family is you know two people but that, that's still like a different category in my opinion you know when you say family game you're kind of thinking of a you know, and you mentioned that too, like social interaction, you know, like it needs to be a more of a social game. Like it's hard to put your finger on it. It's real, it's real hard to define, but it's kind of like you got to, you know, it when you see it, you know, like, like you said, I mean, it's, you think, I think of a family game as the atmosphere at the table, right? Everybody's laughing and cutting up and you're enjoying it together. The in, the intangibles is what I think you're getting at is the things that you yeah. can't put your finger on, as you said, but it's the game you'll bring home to Thanksgiving. I think about that way. It's the game that um, you'll bring to your mother's house for your cousins that you might play with once a year. That you know know of board games, but they don't. It's not a, they're not hobbyist as as we might be, and uh, not as apt to maybe dive into 
sitting down and learning a game. Well, some people out there might play Twilight Imperium on Thanksgiving. It might be a, a tradition. <laughs> it's a good, that's a good point. <laughs> so, yeah, I think every, everybody's family's different. So, you know, just I guess we're def, we're not defining this, you know, whatever, empirically. We're just telling you or trying to let everybody understand where we're coming from and what what we're considering a family game because i do think it's a it's not an official category on board game geek they do have it under these subdomains, whatever that means let's just get right into it. i think that's good enough tom what to you is the first family board game you would think of well um i was looking at my shelf and i i think i mentioned this in the past that um i'm a whole nother level of nerd right but my board game shelves are sorted by weight and um my wife is the main reason for that um i would just throw them up however they would fit probably but it's really nice though when people come over and you know my cousin come over comes over sometimes when he plays with us or or if we have anybody over you know if they're more i know my sister-in-law plays with us sometimes and we'll say okay you know you want to play a game um this, this is your shelf <laughs> you know this this top shelf and about half yeah. of this next shelf that's all you can choose from because you know it, it really does help in those scenarios but but i was just going through that that shelf and trying to see what i thought was a family game and at first glance i mean my eyes just honed in and was takanoko great choice i don't know how many people are familiar with that but yeah that's that's one of my favorite um, family games. I haven't played it in a while, actually. Me and Lauren were discussing this topic that came up you know, almost immediately. It really made me want to play it again. But I played it last weekend. Did you? Okay. Yeah, but I mean, the, th- the theme, again, it keeps going back to there. For you that don't know, Takenoko, pretty popular game, but um, Chinese emperor right, gave the Japanese emperor a gift of a panda, you know, a giant panda, and then the Japanese emperor ordered a bamboo garden to be created for his palace for the panda to live in or to you know eat the bamboo but um but it's so much fun so colorful the the panda you got this little you know miniature that's a little you know pre-painted you know cartoony looking panda that goes around eats all this you know there's like real colorful stackable bamboo and the bits are just so fun and the kids love it and but there's a lot of game there too i mean it's it's a lot of strategy and you got this mean gardener that's running around trying to chase the you're trying to get the panda or not happy that the the panda's eating all the bamboo he's trying to grow but the game is just you know like i said it just screams family game because it's so fun all the kids are loving building their little tiles out and but yeah, I mean, a game like that, I, I just really like Takanoko, and that was definitely the first one that came to mind when when we were discussing this. But what about you? Well, really, um, the first that come to mind were actually all card games. Um, it's just maybe history with family, kind of falling in line with that. Uh, is Love Letter along with Sushi Go, and I think of Splendor as a card game. Y'all, that's a darling on this podcast has been mentioned many times. But all three are really kind of hand management with different Sushi Go. Of course, is a more of a drafting game. Probably my favorite of all is Love Letter. It's super easy to sit down and play, and probably most people have heard of it or tried it, but it's a small deck of cards. How many cards is in it, Tom? Can you even think? It's like 24, maybe? Yeah, that sounds about right. 24, yeah. It's, um, I can name them, but I won't. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, essentially it's a, it's a game of uh, a little bit of deception in it, but, um, it's really a game where you each have a one card, you draw one card, choose between the two cards, and discard one. Uh, now, each card you discard has an action, and you play it out. But super simple mechanics, and a lot of fun can come out of this game, or a lot of enemies, I guess, because it is a little... Maybe for some families it might be uh, too close to a take that. Um, but, of course, you do kick people out of the round. That's the whole point of Love Letters, getting down to winning, being one person. And uh, But it plays super fast. I mean, the rounds can be uh, four people can sit down, and, you know, it may only take two complete circles of uh, drawing before there's a winner. So uh, I think that speed of that game, great, great filler game, great family game to me. Um uh, I, when you when you mentioned love letter, I cannot I cannot talk about love letter without the image popping in my head. Which we were playing loot letter, which is the Munchkin version of love letter. There's a bunch of versions out there, but um, we were at our New Year's party. I think is when it was at the pond house. I think I'm almost positive that's what it was. 
I can't remember, but I don't know if you know what I'm getting at here, but we were playing Loot Letter, and our good friend Jonathan, um, he was um, sitting down, and he had lost a few times, and he was getting real frustrated, and he, his wife was trying to get him to leave, and he was halfway out the door, and he kept coming back in, and um, she, you know she was, she, she was standing there holding stuff, and he's like, one more, one more, one more, and he runs back over there, and he plays one more, and then the very last one, he said, I'm going to play one more, one more, and the first card, he drew the first card, and somebody else you know just had the... The one that you guessed, like you got that, and he just threw the card down and went out and left because he he was eliminated on the first turn. Just dramatic exit. It was so great, you know. But but yeah, I, I like Love Letter a lot. I really enjoy deduction games and and going forward, uh, the second one I mentioned there, the Sushi Go. Uh, I don't know if you guys spoke much about it. I don't recall anyone speaking much about it, but it's just like a timeless game. I think we mentioned it a few times, but yeah, not. Do you have um, Sushi Go Party? I do not, but I played your version of Sushi Go Party. If you're looking to buy one of them now, there's no reason to buy the original. I mean, Sushi Go Party is basically the same game, but it just has way more variability and adds a lot to it. But um, but I mean, you know, you might. I kind of I kind of got tired of it myself. You know, we played it all the time. So I mean, don't get me. No, don't don't confuse me getting tired of it with it's not replayable because it is, and I will play it if anybody brings it out. You know, I'm not going to turn it down. But um, but yeah, it's really it's a very simple card drafting game, and I think we're hitting the nail on the head on this. So the kids love it, anybody loves it, and it's easy to teach. So I think it that's a great great choice. And we speak, you guys speak all the time about you know how this hobby is growing. You know, there's more board games now, of course, than ever before, as you could say in humor. But uh, there's just more and more come out every year, and there are so many games that fit this road. Email and, and ask Tom and Ryan for some suggestions as questions. But uh, there's so many games as I look through them, I own a lot of the games, which, as I joked with earlier, I, I, I like the casual games, but I think more so what I like is that when people come over, I have the game for them. Um, just to name a few, like I was thinking, like, uh, technically, Ticket the Ride is a is a good family game, a little more meaty, but it's a, it's a, it's a family game. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a family game. I think it's right there, you know. There's just a list that goes on and on, I mean, of games is you can find the right game that fits your group that you call family because what is family right. family is the people we love around whoever, whatever that makeup is right. but you can find a themed easily accessible game king domino was the next one on my list and i don't know if you've played this you but it is a well domino game but more of like a tile placing game is what it feels like but i love this game and after it, it it's kind of replaced carcassonne for me in my head um and and I kind of do that a lot like I'll I'll play like I'll I'll find a game and I'm like well I don't really need to own this other game anymore you know not that I haven't gotten rid of Carcassonne but and I just played Carcassonne recently a couple times but that's why I got it on fresh on my mind but King Domino is you know you got these you know different very colorful dominoes so imagine like you know, you've got an ocean, a, there's like a field, there's a farm, there's all kinds of, you know, different pieces. So it's not dominoes in the the sense of like numbers on them, but they're different kinds of little, you know, two, two ended, you know, like a one by two um, domino. And you're drafting these things and it's so quick, so simple. It won the, the Spiel de Jara. I was thinking that too last year. Hey, if you want to find a good list of family games, and that's pretty much what that means. So um, you can go through and look at the, you know, the winners or the nominees each year of the Spill Jara, and that's you pretty much just make a list of those games, and that's going to be a great family game. But um, but this game, it just it does everything for me that Carcassonne does, but in a much faster, much more streamlined more meaningful decisions more it makes you think about each little tile that's being placed but like when you have carcassonne carcassonne is just so like the map can get so sprawling and you got so many things and it can kind of get a little stressful um for me and for the kids especially when they're trying to play it because you know it's kind of like you if you don't complete this thing you run out of your meeples and anyway it can just kind of be I mean, don't get me wrong, Carcassonne's a great family game, but man, King Domino just fits that so well. I cannot I cannot recommend it enough. We've played it so much, so light, so easy to teach. But yeah, King Domino is one of my favorite family games. I think it would pretty much fit that definition to a T. I 
absolutely. I've yet to be able to play it, but I've seen it and heard so much about it. I know it's uh, a very popular game. You got another one you want to fire away? Ink and Gold's a great uh, pressure luck game. Um, super simple concepts. Again, a neat little theme. You are, maybe it's not terrible for children or anything, but it's a little more serious looking. You're diving into a uh, pyramid, uh, going down in a cave, and basically each round everyone gets the option to go back with their split of the loot that's been found so far, or continue going, and the further you can press your luck, bigger riches you may come out with, or catch two of the same type of uh, hazard, uh, you lose everything. So there's, it's just a very simple, there's not much you know, there's some luck to it. There's not a deep analysis paralysis, as we say, because you can't know what's coming up. So it's really just a social, fun, family game. Great game, too. You got anything else you want to add? I think I could go on forever because um, I, I realize as we go through them even deeper, I really do seek these games out, as I was saying, because I think they're a staple for everyone's collection. Um because you need this, you need this type of game, and they're cheap. They're typically, typically cheaper in nature. You know, the games we're talking about for sale is never more than like what twenty bucks. Um, they're not usually the um, the most expensive games either. Luckily. Well, I think that'll wrap up our topic of family games. <laughs> Before we wrap the show up, I'm going to um, go over some upcoming stuff. We definitely are still excited about Dice Tower Con. I'm going to that. I don't know if you're going to be able to make it any. Are you planning on swinging down there for, for a day or anything? I know you mentioned that a long time ago. You? Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not looking like it's going to be in the cards. Um, you get that? That was a board game reference. <laughs> <Badox>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, we're, we're still going to that. And actually, I'm going to the Atlanta Game Fest in May. I'm not sure. I don't remember the dates on it. But um, if, you, if, they, if you're free that weekend, you know, I can work that out. I think it's the first or second weekend in May. The biggest thing I wanted to mention was Rob Davio again next week. Super excited about that. We're actually, it's only three days away when we're going to record the episode. So got to get all my stuff together <laughs> and get my questions. So if anybody wants to ask Rob anything, anything specific, definitely as soon as this thing goes live, you know, um, start sending us messages and you know, Twitter, Facebook, anywhere you want to. And we might kind of get a few questions in on the show for him. That's going to be pretty cool. Again, he's promoting Fireball Island and we're really excited about that because you know, we've played a lot of Rob Davio games and I know you have you played any others besides Pandemic Legacy and Betrayal? Uh, no, those are only two, but I've been following his stuff and love, love, love the idea of uh, Legacy games. I want to try a game of Risk Legacy, and I think that whole concept, um, it's a wonderful idea, and it took a super creative mind to come up with destroying the board games as you play them. <laughs> <laughs> Don't play that for him. He's probably heard that before, but. Oh yeah, I love it. All right, well, um, I want to thank you again, Hugh, for coming on and helping me out and recording with me. And maybe in the future, if we might could rotate you in and get you in as a guest host uh, more often. Well, it's super fun, man. I don't know that I'm a uh, radio personality, but I certainly do uh, like the hobby, and it's fun hanging out with you guys. So glad I got the opportunity to speak. If anybody has any questions, we, we still need some questions. The whale's pretty dry. We've got two or three. We're going to do some questions next week. Um, well, we might not with Rob, but we'll probably do it the episode after that. But um, we're down to our last few. So send those questions, Facebook, Twitter. We've got an Instagram. Everything's at Who Shuffled. Our website's whoshuffled.com. You can find links to all of our social media pages on there. Go on iTunes and Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere you can find podcasts. Positive reviews on uh, on the podcast pages on iTunes and all that kind of stuff really helps us out. And we really appreciate every review. Well, that'll wrap up our show for this week. So thanks for listening. I'm Tom Tanner. And I'm Hugh Stevens. Thanks for listening to Who Shuffled. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Who Shuffled. Mm-hmm.